whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Hello. Hi, this is Julie from Rock Antenna. Uh, hi, it's Richard here. Hi. I can call you Richard. That's nice. <laughs> you can, yes. <laughs> How are you doing today? Good. Yeah, it's first day back at work from our holidays here. We have a We have like our big holidays instead of June, July. We have them now. So nice. First so day back, back on board. and uh, back yes, with an is. interview with the German radio station. Yay! <laughs> yes. So you're okay and safe and all. How's the fire? Like, are you surrounded by anything? Um, yes. No. The uh, we're down in Melbourne. We get a lot of smoke, but um, we are pretty safe from all the actual flames so far. Anyway. Okay, well, uh, wishing you all the luck in the world. I've already donated quite a bunch because it's really, really frustrating and heartbreaking. Oh, and, thank uh, you. I just really hope it's going to be okay <laughs> <laughs> sometime soon. Anyway, so you're good. You're ready to go. Um, yes, I'm ready to go. So I apologize in advance. But I haven't seen the movie yet because I tried to log in into my screener uh, account and it wouldn't work. It would say, the video does not play. Oh. And I'm like, I would have loved to watch the movie before we talk, but now I've only seen the trailer. Anyway, so as yeah. I said, I apologize uh, in advance. <laughs> um, that's all right. The, but the movie's been making or has been in the making for quite a while. Um, when did you start making it and why? Um, well, the very first interview we we did was in 2009 when um, U2 were touring Australia and they were passing through Melbourne. And um, I, at that stage, I was working on a um, dramatic feature script, you know, much much like the Johnny Cash film Walk the Line, sort of based around Michael's life because, you know, I, I just felt it was a, a story that needed to be told. And so... Um, in, in order to do research for that dramatic feature film script, uh, we sat Bono down and uh, filmed an interview with him. And um, we sort of kept doing that every time someone who was connected with Michael passed through town, like the band were, would tour next and I would sit all the band members down. And, um, and then a few interviews in, I sort of, um, sort of, the fascination with the documentary format and the um i i sort of lost interest in the you know the reconstructed drama format um because i really i really felt that you know it was it was sort of um an opportunity to almost let michael tell his own story not mm. n not only through his um archival um, interviews and home movie footage, which I knew there was quite a, a bit of out there, but also through the voices of those that knew him best, like the girlfriends, the band members, and you know, pe people who hadn't actually ever spoken before, but would sit down and talk to me because they kind of trusted me, and and they knew that Michael trusted me, and and I knew our sort of relationship was was close, and that. I was kind of going to sort of do the right thing by him and not sort of turn it into another sort of tabloid sensationalist thing, of which there'd been quite a lot already, you know. And and so it, it just sort of grew from there. And 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 then sometime in the 
the um, 2010s, um, I got approached by the local broadcaster, the Australian Broadcasting Commission, to to um, say, why don't you ever, why don't have you ever thought of doing a, a documentary about Michael? And I, and I sort of said, well, funny you should mention that. I've been collecting all these interviews, not knowing what to do with them. You know? So it, it sort of uh, it happened like that in a, in a very um, slow sort of um, organic way. And and of course, by the time it actually the film got funded and everything, I had this quite large archive of, of interviews that and and footage that you know no one else had access to. So I felt the pressure that if uh, if I wasn't going to do it, nobody would. Um, I've read. I know it's always bad to read reviews before you actually see the movies, uh, the movie. But um, <laughs> it is. Um, but uh, somebody wrote that you never see the people who've been interviewed. You only hear the voices within the movie. Why is that? Yes. Indeed. Well, um, as I mentioned, that we started filming um, people like we 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 actually filmed Bono and we filmed the band members and everything. As I, as more and more of the archive footage um, made itself known to me through research, and you know, so, uh, an extraordinary amount of it was just sitting in my own attic without me realizing it, because I'd, I'd sort of kept all the uptake, um, the, the uptakes from all the music videos and filming I'd, we'd done together with Michael. Um, it sort of it became sort of obvious that. I didn't really want um, a talking head genre type of um, doc documentary. That I was I was looking for something more observational, and that and that's kind of um, fine when your subject is alive and you can follow them around and observe them. You know, mm -hmm. much like Penny Baker did. But in this case, my subject had passed away. But but this sort of extraordinary archive kept appearing and almost like um, people had been following him around or he had been filming a lot of his life himself just through the um, the video eight cameras that were around as as in excess became more and more successful they were able to um, band members were able to buy um, the current technology of home video um, cameras, which was the video eight mm. predominantly and VHSC, I think was around. And um, so that as, as people sort of opened up their archives to me, they'd become more and more um, very intimate footage of what Michael had filmed, what they'd filmed of Michael and everything. And, and to actually sort of break up that narrative with a, a talking head, which really threw you out of, the time when our story was happening and into the present day, you know, into 2018 or whenever we were in production and then then have people say, I remember when, and then go back to 1985. It was, it was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to actually immerse you in the time and the experience that Michael himself was going through. And so you go back to the time when he lived and you stay there. Mm -hmm. And the nature of cutting to a talking head where someone's now, you know, obviously 20 or 30 years older and you actually, you get thrown, the, you know, you get thrown around in the time frame, in the narrative and, and, you, and you're sort of 
talking about people's visual memories as well. And you sort of go, oh, there they are at 20, and now there they are at 60. And uh, I just didn't want the audience being thrown back and forth like that. I wanted to immerse you like time traveling back into the story. Nice. Well, I'm very excited. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Really annoying that I couldn't watch it. Damn it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the title of the movie is Mystify, obviously. But are you actually demystifying yeah. a few myths about Michael or even adding some new myths? Well, I'm 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 trying to demystify my own questions and you know, I mean a lot of the the how Michael's uh life ended up was very confusing to a lot of his close friends, including myself included. And so, you know, it, it is literally um, a detective mystery that the film, when you see it, um, how, it would, how, it would, how it takes place is, is much like a Sherlock Holmes <laughs> sort of detective story because you, you see what the media pushed and And my, my agenda was to try and get to the bottom of it by going around and interviewing the people, people that, you know, at the peak of his career, as you can see in the trailer, there was a, quite a calamitous accident where he got king hit and knocked off his bicycle and, and his head, um, his skull cracked on the sidewalk. And that was a story Michael would tell and people would sort of say, oh, yeah, he got a knock on the head. But. Um, no one I had spoken to until the making of the film has actually been there, was actually the eyewitness. And then we, we um, Helena Christensen, the, Michael's partner and, and supermodel of the time, um, said yes to an interview. And for the first time ever, she, she was there and she was the only eyewitness. For the first time ever, she spoke about what actually happened. And as as you hear her story, you go, oh, my God, there's a whole other story here. And, and it literally is like a t detective trying to piece together uh, a mystery story. And, um, and by the end of it, you, you actually do have a clear indication of Michael's mindset and how it ended the way it ended. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I was... I wasn't quite sure as I went into it what where the story was going to go in the jigsaw puzzle. So yeah, it was quite mystifying to me, and uh, and I hope that you know by the end of the film that there's some clarity, especially when you take a look at the sort of the tabloid gossip and the tab, you know what what the tabloids are left behind, and you know a lot of times. Um, He, he'd be, you know, he, Michael had become the sort of butt of comedians' jokes for autoeroticism, and and when you in, when you investigate when that that sort of rumor appeared, it was sort of like three months after he died. There was no one at the time of his death who was even talking about that until his partner at the time sort of did an interview and said, oh, yes, it must, you know, I, I can't make any sense of this, so it must have been autoeroticism. And, you know, and that's basically, um, you know, that, that's an example of how much confusion there was about how um, Michael got to where he got to. It was, I, I don't think anybody in the media had any clue of what was going on. And, and you actually... 
by speaking to the, those closest to him, especially the girlfriends who, you know, would go to bed and wake up with him and see him in his troubled state and see him with the insomnia and see him curl up in the fetal position, bawling his eyes out. You know, you sort of, once you actually got all those stories in, you actually got a very different picture of someone that was extremely troubled and and someone that had um, problems as a result of this accident, you know. And, yeah, I, I, I was going into the story... Um, with a very different scenario. So, yeah, I mean, we, the Mystify was the perfect title because not only was it one of his most famous songs, but it was also sort of, um, you know, it was also the theme of of who the hell is this person, you know, because he kept surprising me along the way <laughs> and he kept mystifying me and part of it, part of him still does, you know. <laughs> yeah, we, you obviously knew him a lot better than most people. Do you think, like, or how was he different from the Michael the masses knew? Well, I think the the interesting thing about that question is that I don't think he was different. There's, it's like he that, that's if you look at most pop stars yeah. like Bowie, Bono, Elton John, they they create this. Um, persona that they put out there and the persona is a bit like the Wizard of Oz it's a it's a protection yeah. you know Elton John's real name is Reginald Dwight who the hell is Reginald Dwight but we know Elton John and it's very it's a very theatrical concept especially when you look at Bowie it's a and Bono their their characters they play are very theatrical yeah. and and they protect the real person they protect the the shy little boy or the or the person inside or the or the uh, dysfunctional person whoever it's going to be it's like what you wear on stage mm. is a protection but i think what's interesting about michael is he didn't actually have any characters he just was who he was on stage he was just he was like dancing as if nobody was watching and I think that's where he became very vulnerable is that with the, the sort of uh, the geniality, the humility and everything you can see on stage. I mean, there there is a bit of a performance ego of running around and, and responding to the audience. But it's interesting part of the story is that Michael had terrible eyesight and so he couldn't actually see the, you know, the 50,000 people in front of him. He, all he could see is the front row of, you know, and so he, uh, once, one stage he, he um, had glasses or contact lenses made and he said, you know, I'm going to actually go out there and have a look at my audience and see. And he, and he rushed out there and he saw the, you know, 100,000 people and he rushed off stage immediately and threw his contact lenses away. It's going, I, I can't sing knowing that they're all out there, you know, and seeing them all. And it's, I have to, I have to be in my own little bubble to actually just expose myself and, and say, this is who I am, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think that's what made him incredibly vulnerable when, when things got messy at the end and the media started to coming at his private life and everything. Michael had no 
persona to hide behind, you know? Mm. I mean, imagine if that happened to Bono. Ah, sorry, Bono. David Bowie. And Bowie has this persona, you know? You can see it in, in films about, like, Ziggy Stardust or mm. Thin White Duke or whatever. It's, this, it's a theatrical persona. And he never lets you see behind the curtain that the, the little boy pulling the strings, you know? Mm. And Michael was the little boy pulling the strings. And then... You know, and so the the barbs hurt, and even a bad review hurt. It hurt him. He took it very personally. Hmm. Well, I'm... I don't even think people like you know Mick Jagger. I mean, Mick Jagger is a persona as well. It's yeah. like yeah, it's but but Michael just went. I'm just this guy, and I can perform, and this is what I do. Yeah. Well, on on Wednesday he would have turned sixty. If he was yeah. around today, what would you tell him? What would you wish him? <laughs> I'd be I'd be looking for him to tell me some advice. I mean, I uh Michael would be I know Michael would be sort of enjoying life and that's the that's the um you know enjoying life to the full of, of what his capabilities would 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 allow and um what his you know finances would allow but he was a, a sensualist and a hedonist and he he loved you know he loved um just all the pleasures of life not so much the sort of financial gain that he that he got from being famous and rich but it was you know he never had any money in his pocket or he was all he was always sort of borrowing uh, you know money for the coffee off you at the cafe <laughs> it was it was quite hilarious but he 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 loved being alive and he loved sort of the the sensual pleasures of life and um I, you know, it, it was. It'd be more like um, I would. I would be looking to him for advice. But you know, it's just. It's. Uh, I would be. I would be. Probably, if he was alive, I would be. Um, I'm sure we'd be still in the hotel room, hanging out with his friends and family. And and Michael's idea of family wasn't just the ones you related to. It was sort of. You know, he created this gang of friends, and um, or even if he was on a film shoot, he it would that was his family, and and he sort of um, showed me the the sort of pleasures of that sense of community you get when you have a uh, when you're a nomad and you have a a family and a group of people there who with like minds who can talk, and you know, it was I think. Um, thing about michael he got he got a bit done in by the um the cliche of the rock stars like he he had, he certainly looked like a rock star and i think people have these um preset ideas of what a rock star is and yet he wasn't like that and and i do think people liked all the, the media and And a lot of even even friends or people who didn't know him would would like to actually go. Oh, he's that sort of Ozzy Osbourne type who's smashing up hotel rooms or you know lock up your daughters. No one's safe when Michael's in the room. When actually you know he rather than sort of racing off the prettiest girl in the room, he would prefer to sit and and talk with. Someone about you know art or politics until four or five in the morning, and then perhaps whoever's whoever's got the stamina to be the last one in the hotel room, 
that's who he'd ended up in bed with or 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 whatever it's it was he he was sometimes a, a victim of the the rock star stereotype and cliche and uh he just he just knew how to enjoy life and i'm sure he would be doing it at 60 that's for sure it's very it's very refreshing to hear somebody talk about someone else so nicely it's like it's very cute honestly <laughs> just without well, even if he wasn't a big rock star or whatever as you said he was just a normal guy and um it's very it's very nice to hear that like Well, he certainly, certainly as soon as he's, you know, he, he would always talk to me about the steps you go up to the stage and off the stage and you, you go up to the stage with these sort of seven steps and um, you put on an ego jacket that enables you to go out there and, and as I said, dance and sing like no one's watching. Mm. And then you come back and, and the ego jacket comes off down those steps and it's just like... And and you, there's so much uh, footage we have in the film, you'll see, where he comes up and goes, how was that? Was that okay? You know, there's 100,000 people screaming um, for him to come back. And he's just sort of, you know, shyly inquiring, do you think that was all right? I don't know how that went. You know, it's like, and um, it it was, uh, it's just, I mean, yes, I'm a friend and yes, I, I liked him, but it was, we tried to stay very objective and, uh and go, you know, okay, we're going to show this warts and all. And apart from this messy stuff at the end of his life, which is, as I say, was partly due to this accident or mostly due to this accident that gave him um, traumatic brain injury, um, he was. it was just very hard to find evidence of him being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> um, just asking again about the accident. I, I'm sorry, I don't really... He got brain injuries, obviously. This, this is this is where you need to see the film. But basically, uh -huh. he had this accident, cracked his skull. He was on a push bike uh -huh. and a, and a, in Copenhagen, and a taxi driver came up um, behind him, and un, unseen by him, just because uh, he was blocking this small laneway, and hit him in the side of the head, and he fell off the push bike and cracked his skull on the sidewalk. And basically, as a result of that, he got traumatic brain injury, but it was untreated. He he um, he went to the hospital. They just thought he was a drunk rock star, mm. which which gets into what I was talking about. He's a victim of the stereotype, and they let him out, even though he was bleeding from his nose and his ear. And um, he locks himself up in his hotel room for a month, or his, his Helena's apartment, actually, for a month. And um, and the the hand injuries never treated, and so um, he he did suffer from um, two areas, walnut-sized areas of brain damage, and had traumatic brain injury (TBI) they call it. And this is really what was his undoing. And and the following three four years, everything went pear-shaped. Wow, that's horrible. I didn't know that. Mm. Was that kept a secret from the public, or was that known for? Um, the the ex well, I I didn't really know the full extent. The accident itself wasn't kept secret, but it was always dismissed by him. You know, saying, "Ah, oh, it was nothing. I got a knock on the head." But I didn't know the full impact until we not only spoke to Helena, but we actually got all the details from the 
the um, doctors and, and also the autopsy and everything. The full detail of what had happened wasn't known until this film, really. And um, and thanks largely to Helena Christensen telling the story. Mm. And um, but you know it's uh, it's just a, a great shame that it wasn't taken more seriously by the doctors and the hospital staff that actually did um, see what had happened. You know, and, and should have actually just locked him up in a intensive care ward for the next two or three weeks to treat it all. Mm. They just let him out that night. They let him out, thought he was a drunk rock star. I really have no words. This is horrible. Okay, wow. Yes, I mean, that's, that's, no. that's kind of the big, uh, yeah, the big demystification, I guess, of the film, which uh, as soon as you see it, you'll, you'll understand, yeah. And I'm going to watch it. I'm very excited. And um, thank you for making this movie. Thank you so much for and the insight. No, no, it's my, my pleasure. And thanks, for the, thanks, Julia, for the great interview. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> Stay safe. Thank you. Bye. -bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Yeah. I've got a face mask. Oh, yes. Okay. 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 Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts.